Hey everybody, welcome back to Pretend World Drill People. As always, I'm Tyler, and I am wrapping up a very long day of filming over in Denver. Had a huge commercial today, uh, day one of two, so I gotta go back bright and early <laughs> tomorrow. Can't wait for that morning breakfast burrito and coffee on Crafty. It's the best, but outside of that, it's been a really busy week. You know, I, like I said last time, I've put in my two weeks for my service job. I am going with this current. I don't know where it's going to take me. Hopefully somewhere good. By the way, it's been great because this week has been full of self-tape auditions. Not to say that, you know, you'll, you'll book, but everybody I've talked to, we've just had this wave of requests and submissions. So it only means really great things for this time of the year and that there's more projects coming down the pipeline. So fingers crossed, break a leg, everybody. I hope everybody's killing it with their self-tapes, but I've just had a blast not worrying about the brewery and just focusing on my craft. I want to see where this leads. It's it's just so much fun. I, I absolutely love it. I didn't get the, <laughs> the hybrid remote um, marketing job I had applied to that I was really hoping I got, but that's okay because there's something else out there waiting for me. I don't know what it is, but it's waiting. It's just, it's been a really, <laughs> the word of today, it's been a very transcendent week, and I think that was even added to even more so with my buddy Jason Coviello coming into Colorado, shooting a commercial up in the mountains, but it gave us a chance to actually sit down and do an interview in person, which is something I, I didn't think we'd do, because he now lives in Atlanta. He used to work here. He used to film here. I met him here. He's been a part of my life for, oh my God, about 10 years since I started so it was cool to have him in town, invite him into my office, my very dorky office, sit down, have our very first in-person interview of 2022, and just hear his story. And his story is, it's one of the, the best creative journeys you'll hear about, so I can't wait for you to listen to it. But Jason Coviello, he's an actor, he's a photographer, an amazing photographer, did my headshots, and he's a stunt performer. This guy is the most loving person you'll ever met, incredibly creative, and <laughs> I guess as the kids would say, spiritual AF. He is, he knows himself, he's comfortable in himself, the way he describes living is nothing short of poetic, which, I mean, he's also a poet, so I don't know what to say outside of, you definitely have seen him as the helicopter pilot in Stranger Things, you've seen him as a murderous mercenary in MacGruber, and you've caught him in other series like Roswell, independent features like Whitetail. He's just, he's all over the place. And his star just continues to glow. So let's not wait any longer. Let's sit down. Let's hear from my good buddy, Jason Coviello. Haha, <laughs> there it is. There it is. Da -da -da. <laughs> this is going to be really entertaining. Um, first interview in person since uh, Steph and I started this, so it's going to be great. No uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be maybe a little echoey. We're in my office right now. I'm usually by myself with a little windscreen, but uh, I'm going to put my tech specs aside because I finally get to have you on this on this show. So stoked. <laughs> and, and I do better when it's a little echoey. You do better? Yeah. You feel like yeah. there's more space? Yeah. Some room to breathe. I don't get claustrophobic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got, we got to get down to the, to the nitty gritty, man. I got to ask you, because uh, there's people on here who don't know who you are. 
I, I know who you are. I love you. You've been my buddy for years. You're, you were there when I started. You're here now. Tell us who you are and what you do, man. Well, my name is Jason Coviello, and I am an actor, writer, director, stuntman, photographer, and lots of other things. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, I love this industry. I love the art of acting and storytelling. And so I've been at this really since I was 18. You know, it's kind of when I first started. Uh, the, I got the bug while I was dancing underneath the Brooklyn Bridge on MTV's The Grind. And it was just so random that that even came to fruition. Uh, a buddy of mine, his sister worked for like a dance promotion club. And so he was able to find out about an audition happening at the Palladium. And I was an athlete. I mean, I was a three-sport athlete. No ambitions to be an actor at all at this time. And so we all went down and auditioned. And it was crazy, like a huge cattle call, dude. I mean, there was hundreds of people out the door of Palladium, like out around the block. No like shit. the things that you hear about, like cattle call style. <laughs> and I'm just like hanging with my boys, having fun and no idea what we're in for. And so then we, we go on into the room eventually. And they have about 10 of us dancing you know and the like, casting directors are back there and so i instantly just like get out on the floor start dancing and i take my shirt off and i'm like grinding with the girls just having fun <laughs> and uh I, I booked the grind and uh so i got to do we shot the way they did that was they shot over a full weekend hmm. multiple episodes each day changing outfits and then that led me to like I got to do a shout out with Jenny McCarthy and then they grabbed me for like a couple commercials and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun, you know, let's, let's do this. <laughs> but the time in my life, I just wasn't ready for that. You know, I uh, ended up going to college to play soccer and I went back down to do the grind um, at a different club and that was kind of fun. And <laughs> it was a trip because I got the nickname, the grinder. At, co at college <laughs> because grind was such a big deal. This is back in 1995. Yeah. And I would go back like to my dorm room and there'd be people like hanging out watching the grind and be like, oh yeah, there's the grinder. <laughs> uh, so, so I was having fun with that, doing my thing. I wasn't really thinking about like, all right, I'm going to launch an acting career. I'm going to do this. And yeah. ended up totally falling in love with this girl and she drowned in a lake. And it was like, you know, just carpet ripped out from underneath me. And it was the greatest blessing in disguise because it really helped to uh, wake me up mm -hmm. and, and begin to really question who am I, what do I want to do? And it, you know, I always like to say it awakened the inner artist. And I started writing a bunch and then painting and meditating and studying yoga and like, all of that emerged in this wild adventure that would take way too long for your podcast. <laughs> uh, meeting a shaman and having like these just crazy clairvoyant type experiences. And that led me back to New York to help my sister who was in a really bad spot. And then one day while traveling uh, up and down the streets of New York, I grabbed my mom's old VHS video camera and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go around and ask people the meaning of love because everyone is in such a crazy spot. And I just came from living in this wild hippie place <laughs> called Endorphin Land. And uh, it was during that journey that I stumbled upon a newspaper article after I was, I was truly like, this is the moment. I was sitting down, Washington Square Park after a long day of like asking people this question and just feeling so inspired and like, 
you know, having given so much love and receiving this great wisdom from homeless dudes and everyone. And I was just sitting there like, all right, in a prayerful moment, well, what's what's my purpose? Like, why am I why am I back here? Why am I back in New York? I thought I was going to, to the Himalayas to study with the masters. Like, I really felt like that was where I was going to go. And now I'm back in New York. Like, why? And um, this newspaper was kind of like blowing in the wind out in front of me, like right near the fountain. And then like a gust of wind brought it down into a puddle about 15 feet in front of me. And I'm like, nah, that's got to be a message. It's got to be a message. Nah, it's stupid. So I go up and I look at the newspaper and the part that was glued down yeah. said creative acting workshop, free Wednesday night workshop. No fucking way. Absolutely. The first <laughs> thing I said, first thing, the, the internal message that I said to, to contradict this message that came to me was, nah, man, I, I mean, I'm on a spiritual path. I can't be spiritual and be an actor. <laughs> like that, that was the silly story that was in my head at that time. And so, you know, I pushed that aside and said, all right, well, there's, there's a message, there's a meaning. I have to go to this Wednesday night workshop regardless, you know. So I went and they were doing monologues. And I, I truly, I don't know that I'd ever even heard the word monologue up to this point in my journey. I'm now 19 years old. Like I said, I was always just an athlete. So why would I know about a monologue, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but so I saw what they were doing and I had been writing a lot poetry since you know I started kind of just letting the artist emerge mm. so I quickly wrote a poem and I got up and performed it and it turned out that it was an agent workshop and so at my first ever acting workshop I got picked up by gold star talent in New York <laughs> and I started auditioning and you know studying the art that's, what the <laughs> that's how it happened I, I see and I didn't know about any of that outside of the MTV stuff like we we've never had this chance to sit down and and kind of break it all down. So it seems like, and it's a, it's horrible to kind of think about losing somebody you truly love, but it seems like she gave you that gift of like almost transcendentalism in your life to open your your eyes and broaden your perspective a little bit. I mean, do you? I, I don't even know where to where to go with that, but. Like, while you were starting to act, did you feel, and this, guys, this is going to sound really freaking dorky, but you know I love the spiritual and ghost stuff. But Well, let's go there, because that's that's what has moved my whole life. Really? Did, did and you first off, along with that, yeah. is this Nick Cage? Is, we, Nick, is Nick Cage <laughs> here with us in the room? Yes, yeah, he is, Jason. Okay, okay. He's here. Uh, yeah, my... <laughs> so let's explain that probably. yeah my I um having not had somebody in the office in a year and a half, uh, last year, my girlfriend bought me these amazing custom-made Nicolas Cage-esque bath towels. So I have one for Vampire's Kiss. I have one where he's like in the like a Russian. I guess that's not good. A uh, European military uniform, and this one where it's a bunch of Nick Cage uh, pieces of his face collaged together. So I, I love Nick Cage. I have a Jeff Goldblum shower curtain. Oh like, I God, love I these love really it. broad actors. Um, but yeah, Nick Nick Cage is here. He's he's one of the best. Uh, hopefully, you know, talk to him or work with him one day. But yes, uh, to answer your question, Jason, Nick Cage is here. I feel your spirit there. <laughs> and so to use that to piggyback off of the question that you were getting at yeah. is 100%. She was 
one of the biggest forces in my transcendental experience and me mm-hmm. transcending and awakening to a more authentic person because had I not met her and had the experience that I had with her, I was on a path to probably fall into like a UFC type of experience. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was kind of, because I was a wrestler and I was a martial artist and long story short, some kids showed up at our dorm room to collect on some drug money from one of the kids that was on my soccer team. And he was scared shitless and like came up, knocked on my door. was like, Kobe, man, these kids are trying to get me, bro. I don't know what to do. And so I woke up like in my boxers all hot and heavy. And like, you know, and I think he knew that I was a bit of, that I could be a hothead because on the soccer field, you know, like people are going to try to haze you. And then I quickly wrestle them down and they realize, all right, let's not haze Kobe. You know? (laughs) And so... We went to his room and there was these four dudes that were there and they tried to like jump up, jump us and this was like out of a movie and I kind of like basically destroyed all of them. Oh shit. It was wild. It was wild. <laughs> this one dude tried to like, I came in, he tried to shut the door on my face. I stopped it with my foot, slammed the door into him. This next guy came at me. I front stomped him and then somebody came from behind me that I didn't see and he grabbed me by the neck and I did a duck under, I grabbed his throat and I ran from the doorway to the cement wall and I bounced his head off the wall multiple times while then yelling at the big dude in the back to like get the hell out and they were all like, all right, all right, dude, okay, okay. (laughs) And so the news of that spread really quick on my small campus and then the tough guy of the school wanted to like, you know, come and spar with me and it was just a wild thing. It was crazy. And so then that kind of opened the door to like me wanting to like pursue that path. And it was yeah. like just emerging and God had bigger, better plans. So I was able to like relinquish some of that and move into the more artistic self. Yeah. And so that's why I kind of still, you know, incorporate the stunts and love playing those tough guys and get to utilize that energy in my art, yeah. but from a very different place now. And so along the way I just very often felt inspired by Katie and and guided by her to continually push myself past where I might have gotten stopped before Mm. you know and just these nudges into all of a sudden now I'm doing hands-on healing art and became a Reiki master and you know a lot of those early the early process least a year to two years after her passing i really felt her with me really oh, yeah it's beautiful man and what i mean what was your first booked gig with that agency in new york do you feel like i never booked oh what um, yeah, yeah yeah i my first audition it was short-lived it was very short-lived okay. I, I wasn't real because i was still in the ethereal realm i really wasn't grounded and ready for it ah. um so my first audition ever was, this is a great classic story. Um, it was uh, for a national Wendy's commercial. And I guess the agent thought that I knew what I was doing because I had confidence to go up there and, and read a poem or, or recite a poem, you know? Yeah. But I didn't. I didn't know jack about the industry or what to do or how to do it. So I walk into the audition they're like, all right, take your mark and slate. And I'm just like, oh, shit. What? <laughs> and they're like, okay, can you step on the little white X and say your name and your agency? So I did it. And fortunately, it was an improv audition. 
uh, a surfer dude trying to get Dave to come out and surf with you. Now my look at the time was very different. Like now I'm looking all military and buzz cut, right? But yeah. at the time, I had really long curly hair, which eventually turned into dread. So long curly hair that like came down to here, and like I just had come from California, so I had like the Cali tan, and so I'm just like, Dave, dude, man, come on, you know, come on out, the waves are great, and just like playing. And so that ended up getting me like a callback, and I thought like, oh, this is good, but I didn't book it, you know. Ultimately. Oh. Went on about 10 auditions, did a little bit of training, but ultimately all I wanted to do, so I lived about an hour north of Manhattan at the time, and we lived on a dead end road. And at the bottom of that dead end, there was a, a big hill that led down to a little pond back there that we would always hang out at as kids. Uh, and like, it was a little campsite. But when I came back, I built a sweat lodge there. Because while I was in California, I had hung out with a shaman and had sweat lodge experience and like this amazing transcendence. So here I am at 19 years old. I come back to New York and now I'm hanging out with my boys, you know, who are used to me dancing on the grind and having parties mm. at my house. And now I'm like, you guys want to come down to the sweat lodge and meditate? <laughs> like, what the fuck happened to Kobe Yellow, man? I think he's joined a cult. He's crazy. <laughs> so that's really where I was at. I was still just... Yeah. You know, I was processing. I was still in mourning and, and, and learning and growing and wanting to explore more of that energy. So, like, just going down to Manhattan to be a part of the acting grind, I just, I wasn't ready. So, I only stayed in New York after coming back about a year, hmm. year and a half maybe, before I went back to Colorado. And I thought, like, forget it. I don't, I don't care about acting. I'm just going back to the mountains. I had some great moments there. I'm going to, you know work with my dad painting houses again and you know keep my writing going I was right doing a lot of writing but I was gonna produce a book and that was gonna be the path and maybe a week after I'm there meditating at a place called inspiration point and this random older gentleman came up and saw me writing was like you know what are you writing the next great American novel and I was like I hope so maybe maybe one day and we got into talking and he introduced me to somebody Nitsan Sitzer, who was represented by Peter Dianello of Big Fish Talent, and he's like, you should be an actor. I'm like, really? <laughs> and then a week later, I was represented by Peter. And it just was like, every time I tried to like turn from this path, yeah. something has always drawn me back. It, and that seems like it's, it's similar for most people who have built careers, right? Where... You entertain the idea, you have fun with it, you explore a little bit, because like like yourself, I never thought about getting into it. I was like, no, I don't want, I'd rather write than be some some dingbat in front of a camera, and then look where we are. I'm the greatest uh, dingbat ever! Yeah, yeah, please cast me. I want to be a regular. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it, and Peter of all people, like, he, he has an eye for talent, man. It just, like, he was, and listeners, he was an agent that also, like, brought me in when I just took a random workshop just for the hell of it to, you know, see what this is all about. But he, he understands there's a, a vibe, there's an aura about people, especially for artists. And he's the first one that's going to call you out and be like, Hey, just give this a try. Now, did you, did you tell him like, Hey, try this before? I don't really want to, you know, not to be offensive, but I don't really want to do it anymore. Did you say anything uh, like that? To be honest, I really don't remember yeah. how the first meeting went 
I, I know I instantly felt like, oh my God, you're like a brother. You, he came from New York as well. Yeah. He's an Italian paisan. We're about the same height. Like it was an instant soul kin, kindred, you know, spirit thing. And to this day, he's still a great friend and I consider him you know, a fantastic mentor. Um, but I think I was just like after getting that sign again, you know, having some random dude show up at a place where I'm just meditating, tell me I should be an actor. <laughs> I was like, all right, let me, let me step back into this, yeah. you know, so... I joined the agency, was with him for a little while, but then left, grew my beard and dreads, and was living, you know, out in the mountains for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so there was a constant, like, back and forth seesaw, this pull to be completely removed from this, this world, you know, yeah. and just, like, be in the spirit and be meditative, and then the pull back. And somewhere along the way, I just found the wholeness of, you know, found a way to just accept that this is the path. And, and ironically, going back to my first thought ever that, you know, I can't be spiritual and be an actor. It is honestly, for me, turned out that this has truly been one of the greatest spiritual teachings of my life. Um, mm. You know, and I've, I've studied tons of meditation and yoga and, and been with some profound gurus. But what I've learned about acting is if you allow it, this teaches you to have a constant awareness of how am I being? Who am I being? What are my thoughts? What are my feelings? What are my spoken words? And therefore, what is the vibration that I'm living with, giving out to the universe? What is the, the radio frequency that I'm putting out and what am I getting back? Because when I'm an actor, it's kind of one of the first, when I step into character, I should say, it's one of the first things that I think about is where does this character vibrate? What are his thoughts? What are his feelings? What, you know, how is he live in the world beyond just the script that's given to me? And so acting has really taught me kind of this constant to be in a state of awareness. And then how does this relate to the characters that I play? Because who I choose to be is very different from the characters that I often play, you know? Yeah. And is that something you, you write down in a tangible form, or is that something that you just have sort of in your mind palace as you're that's a great. That's a great question. Um, there are sometimes certain characters that I'll journal hmm. from their perspective. Um, the movie I did, there's a movie I did called Whitetail. Hmm. It's still one of my favorite characters, uh, written and directed by Derek Presley. I'm actually gearing up to do his next movie, uh, I can't really talk too much about it, cool. um, but I'm super stoked. I play a crazed, uh, strung out crooked cop, and, and it's a dark comedy. So stoked! I do that coming up here at the end of July. Um, and so when I stepped into that character, he's a total sociopath, total sociopath. Mm -hmm. So I really spent some time journaling from his perspective, uh, understanding his trauma, uh, what were some of the things that shaped him because I truly believe that not like how how am I different from these characters but how could I have easily been that character Ooh, I like that yeah so had I been molested in life and had one or two different roads I, I could have easily been that dude hmm. you know and so I just like remove myself from who I am and what I want of my life I'm like all right now what could I have done to have been that guy? Yeah. You know? And then it's just so much easier to relate with. And I don't have to 
oh, he's way out there for me. No, this is just aspects of my shadow self that I can lean into that in life I choose not to lean into because I don't want to draw that vibration <laughs> to me, you know? It's like, no, I choose, I choose love and light and, and goodness and kindness. Yeah. But this guy would never. He always chooses chaos. He always chooses death and destruction. And so, so writing has helped me to like understand that. And then that kind of schmarmy place that he lives in. See, and that seems like the like an inverted uh, perspective compared to most acting teachings and that kind of thing, where they say like, you know, oh, well, just just find yourself in the scene. But I like the thought of, well, how could I end up as this person? So that seems like so much more of an organic way to do it. You don't feel like you're snapping in and out. You're just in a weird way entering another dimension of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And that's. That's I mean, is is Whitetail or not Whitetail? No, Whitetail. You had some pretty intense scenes, oh, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, would you say that was probably one of the most emotionally like challenging roles you've had, or is there one that's, no, that's beaten you before? Uh, not emotionally challenging, um, because he didn't have an emotionally challenging range. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, there was one of the first films that I ever did. I played um, a paranoid schizophrenic. This film never saw the light of day, unfortunately. Oh man. But it was one of the first features that I'd ever done. And um, stepping into it at that time, it was very emotionally demanding. He had a roller coaster ride of ranges and emotions. And he was so far gone that he, he killed his girlfriend and splatter painted her because he didn't know the difference. And wow. he, he was a painter, which was cool. So I got to actually, because I've done over 250 paintings. And I then got to paint as that character. And what was super interesting is all of my paintings were like, you know, very much around light and love. And, you know, there'd always be a character with their arms up and like an aura around them. And like the splatter <laughs> paints of like, you know, their colorful auras coming out. Yeah. And this this character, everything was reds and black and like crazed demonic faces. And so it was super trippy to dive into that. But that was very emotionally draining and demanding. And because I was so new to the craft, it also took more out of me. Oh, I bet, man. Yeah. That and that's tough when you first start out, especially when you have like the talent that you have is <laughs> in a way it's like honing a superpower, right? If you do too much of it at once, it's gonna affect you personally for weeks, days, years. So what Oh my god, and that's so important to yeah. tap into. Yeah. So here's what's what actually happened, which was super weird. Uh -oh. So one of my favorite topics. So but this was like a real life example of what can happen when you linger in it too long, mm -hmm. like going method. So I had, I was spending lots of times like going to the library and reading up on schizophrenia. And then I began, you know, I began painting from this character and I began journaling as this character and really diving in before the production because I w wanted to give it my all, you know? And so here I am at the library one time and I'm sitting there journaling and I'm reading a book on schizophrenia and I look over and I see a real life schizophrenic. And I, and I know and can identify because he's sitting there talking to himself. He's kind of like, you know, like hitting himself and just acting weird. And I just dropped in watching him. And I'm just like fascinated, you know, with this dude. And he looks over at me, gives me this look, just like, who the fuck are you? What the fuck do you want? You know, like, and so I was like, all right. And I just give him a little wave and smile, nothing big. And... I decided it was probably time to exit the building. <laughs> so as I walk out, I walk out and I notice that he got up and he followed me. And I just, I felt him. 
I just felt him like hovering behind me. So I stepped out onto the front steps and he was like right behind me in like the, the, the entryway. So he was still like okay. in the glass in the entryway. And I, I didn't like go and run. Like I'm, I'm going to get out of here. I, did, I stopped on the front steps and I just stood there. And I like, I filled myself up with love and I kind of like looked up to the sun, let myself get charged by sunlight. And then I like transmitted that to him, you know, and I was just like, you know, be safe and kind of just surrounding myself with protection yeah. to prevent him from doing anything. Right. And so then after it was maybe 30 seconds of just like grounding and centering, I walked away, I went to my car and as I'm driving back around, I pass it and the dude is outside on the steps punching himself and punching himself like filled with anger and i was like i just knew in that moment like he wanted to take that out on me mm -hmm. for whatever reason and so it was like a direct understanding of how living in that vibration can draw those energies to you and so i've learned that when i dive into some of these dark characters return to that place of love and light mm -hmm. you know go back to the things that make you who you are so that you're yeah. this is one frequency this how long do you live in it can be tricky you gotta be aware like it's it's funny stuff we all we play with you know yeah and you know the the funny thing is like you're so amazing at playing those characters but you're also like i know you're the most loving most humble kind guy i've ever met in my life you have amazing family you have great kids like you have all these these wonderful pieces around you do you, and this is going to be really morbid, do you enjoy playing those darker characters as this, like, it's a sense of catharsis for us as actors to be like, oh, I'm playing a real, like, I'm playing schizophrenic or I'm playing a murderer or something. Like, what do you enjoy about that, that dive into something else? That's a great question. Um, I absolutely do enjoy it. I mean, I would love to play the more comedic goofball that I am. I truly would. Mm -hmm. um, but there is, it, I don't, fully know what it is I love about playing those characters. I have found that it's now easier for me to, to dive in to that space. Um, I think having an under, having less judgment uh, in my life in general allows me to like just full abandonment into those characters. And, and maybe I think what I'm getting at is having the, the, the real solid foundation, meditative foundation of like this, this practice that just brings me back to wholeness and, and being and playing with my family and being a goofball, having that solid foundation, mm -hmm. I can move into that shadow self with kind of a reckless abandonment, knowing where I'll return to. Yeah. And you know, I, I've, I've had a decent amount of trauma in my past and having some dark figures to tap into and you know those energies are there i know them so that also makes it easy you know combining a few influences in my life you know to just be like all right i'm, I'm channeling that that person and then i'm amplifying it tenfold you yeah know? see and that's I, that's why i love your process right like we've we've done a couple commercials together where we'll we'll sit and we'll just talk about this but i don't think anything will beat like just listening to you talk about the industry in a sh like we were shooting a short film in like what Colorado Springs in 2012. When was it? Was it 2013? Yeah, we sh we shot a short film Still called Still one Mission. of my favorites. Oh, it's amazing! And thank you for sending me that file because I I never saw the full thing after a premiere ten years ago. Uh, but you know, I always think back to listening to you and, and Nate kind of talking about 
you know, working in this industry and trying to navigate it. And it's something I, I still hold on to to this day. Um, that's how long we've known each other. But uh, you know, one thing I like to bring up is like, it's all, it's constantly changing. This industry is constantly shifting, pivoting, going a different direction. You were in Colorado for years. And I just want to kind of dive in a little bit. Why did you, you know, leave Colorado towards where you currently live, which I won't, you know, say right now, but I will say it's in the Southeast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, just for privacy purposes. But what, what drew you out of it's the all state? Good. Um, I'm in Georgia. Um, happy to be there. So there were, there was multiple factors. We've got three kids and we really, so I grew up upstate New York, like playing in the sticks, you know, running in the woods and streams and, you know, barefoot running around. Like my, my buddies would call me the, um, uh, the missing link, you know, cause <laughs> I was just always like out there in nature. I was a nature boy. Yeah. And so I really missed that being in Denver. Yes, we have access to mountains, but I was locked into a city, city square. So I had done Whitetail, and then after that I did another film we shot in uh, Illinois, and both of them were in nature surroundings. And I found myself at the one in Illinois, like next to this creek, and I'm playing another psycho, and I'm sitting there, and I'm in camo, and I come up, and I got to snipe someone with a trank dart, you know? But they, they were like, he was chopping wood up there, and they, they just kept messing up the shot for whatever reason. And so I'm down there literally for like an hour waiting, and they totally forgot about me. And I finally was like, are you guys still going to shoot my thing? And they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm like, Jason, get up here. I'm like, no, dude, I'm loving this. This is fine. And I was just having this like totally meditative, transcendental experience, sitting by this creek, listening to it, and like, okay, this is what I'm missing in my life. I miss my connection to nature. I need more. And so I went home and talked to my wife and I was like, I think it's time for us to like find a place where there's more nature. And so we started looking and it was back to the East Coast was the energy that was calling, just surrounded by trees. I wanted lush trees and streams and lakes. And so then it just made sense that, all right, well, let's also go to a place where I can potentially escalate my career. Let's choose Georgia and everything worked out um, for us to be in a great place where our kids are thriving and okay. playing in the woods we're surrounded by 400 acres of nature preserve and streams and it's just a beautiful spot i feel very blessed and so at the at the end of the day the decision was let's find a place that regardless of if i ever do anything in this industry again we will feel like we want to be there and it nurtures and supports who we are as humans yeah. and so that's what we found and you you seem like you're thriving man like i know you said your kids are thriving but you just seem so much happier like yeah this industry is gonna put you into different pitfalls and it's gonna be arduous but you just like down to your instagram posts you just seem like you're you're more relaxed you know here in denver like yeah we have nature but you're surrounded by miles and miles of development and smog and gas like <laughs> it's just I, I don't know i'm really i admire that you guys just picked up your stuff you left for georgia you found that sense of peace and i'm curious are you guys planning on staying there long after your kids are kind of grown and out of the house? Or do you feel like you might want to go a little bit deeper into nature and maybe go to like Montana or it's something? It's a good call, man. Um, it's such a special community that we could be there for the rest of our lives and be completely happy. Wow. 100%. Uh, so, like, you know, whether whether we stay there, there is, there is still a call for us to have more land and more space and have our own healing center on our land where we do uh, yoga retreats and sound healings. You know, it's a big aspect of who we are. 
uh, my wife and I, you know, we were here in Denver doing sound healing concerts <laughs> for years and that's something that I'm missing and want to, you know, it, it will have full circle to mm. that. So I'm not sure how that looks. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of open to what, what comes right now. Yeah. I'm very ferociously focused on propelling my career right now. And, and I feel like that has also helped me that now when I leave and go on a journey, my wife and children are in a safer, more stable place than they've ever been. And she's happy, you know, to where, where we were, she would be sketched out sometimes. You know, there was higher crime where we lived here in Denver. And I would feel that I couldn't completely leave, even though I was gone. They're like this constant having to check in and are you okay? And so I, I wasn't fully there. I wasn't fully here. So now it, I'm able to go off and do my journeys in a much freer way. And it probably helps so much more with you, know, you being on set, focusing on that element and not, you know, feeling like you have to be in two places at once. Because you're, you're here shooting a, a commercial, which I want to ask about on this podcast for NDA purposes, but... You know, how do you feel coming back here working on a commercial that, it sounds like it's national. Can I at least say, is it is it a national spot? Hmm. Should be. Uh, so, you know, let's be transparent here. Yeah. And just connect, because, you know, a lot of us are probably actors listening to this. And let's just lean into how erratic and ridiculous this freaking industry is. <laughs> oh, yeah. And how it just messes with us constantly. Uh, we can do it hours on this subject <laughs> i'm out here had to get myself out to work local hire um so paid for my own flight that's me paid for my, my bad listeners <laughs> my, my own rental car which is worth it because this is potentially national but i still don't have like i'm supposed to be working today or like starting today and we still don't have where i'm going if it's actually going to be shooting tomorrow i'm like are you kidding me how is how is our industry this last minute it's mind-blowing you don't have like a city or an address uh, i'm supposed to be put up in a hotel i don't have that hotel oh so like i technically i don't know where i'm staying tonight <laughs> even though I, there's multiple places where i can go yeah you know but it's it's just that insane that we have to have this much faith sometimes and just have the shirt that i'm wearing says adventure we just have to like have this sense of adventure and just like let it go and trust and have faith. And that is so hard because there's a huge part of me that like really wants the details. And like as a businessman, because I've run multiple different businesses, you've got to be a hustler in this industry as well. You know, I'm a photographer, I'm a house painter, I'm a sound healer, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a Reiki master. Like, so as a businessman, I'm like, I'm going to, if I say something, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something, I'm going to sign a contract, we're going to make it happen. Like, how are we still waiting? And this happens all the time in this industry. And so, you know, the one thing that I found is if if you don't love this in such a deep way, it is just going to chew you up and spit you out. Oh, yeah. Like, you have to be okay with mostly not knowing and mostly being told no. I mean, let's face it. If we bat 50, like, because like, I come from sports, right? Yeah. You know, if you bat 100 as a, as a baseball player, you suck, you're riding the bench. You know, you're, you're kicked off the team. But if we bat 50 as an actor, we're fucking superstars. <laughs> I'm booking one out of 20, bitches. What? You know, like, and that's good? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I just escalated to batting 100, one out of 10. Bam! I'm killing it. What? 
It's insane. It's so true. That yeah. Yeah. It you know what? It's um it's something that is both so incredibly rewarding when you have those experiences of like booking or networking or meeting people, but it yeah, like it's like a bad relationship that you hope <laughs> will go well. Like yeah, for the most part, like I'm pretty lonely, but I'm hoping like they'll show up, right? They're still going to fly into town and we're going to have dinner and you know, it's going to be fun. But it, you're you're so right, so rad the fact that you don't know your hotel details right now. That that's huge for me because if I was in another state, especially well, I mean, one that you're familiar with, it's fine. But if you were in like Indiana or something, like what are you going to do? <laughs> okay, am I just going to put myself up myself yeah. in a hotel? After I've already paid to get here, like, am I making any money on this? Yeah. You know, and then like as a national commercial, you'll get paid your day rate, which is okay. Mm -hmm. But you don't make the good money unless your face is seen. And I don't know if you've noticed a lot of commercials, uh, I, I can't say too much, but a lot of commercials just love to show the vehicle and not the face of the person. So there's a high probability of, you know, that's not working out. Yeah. So you just got, you know, but that's the thing. Like, we're, we're gamblers. We're, yeah. You truly got to be a little bit of a gambler. And just like, let me roll the dice, baby, adventure. Here we go. I'm just ready for adventure, you know. Yeah, I would have made a lot more money staying at home painting a house because I'm still hustling painting houses right now to keep my, my family fed. Oh, yeah. yeah because yeah. that's the reality. You know, people are going to be like, oh, he's on Stranger Things. He's made it. But the transparent reality is, is I shot that a freaking year ago. I... I I only got two grand for shooting that show. Saying. You know? Like, this is a year later. That money is not not supporting my family. Trust me. And, like, residuals. Maybe we'll get some decent residuals from Netflix. Yeah, I'm because curious Because it's number about one that. show. I'll let you know. Yeah. Um, but, like, that's not... Like, maybe I'll get a thousand bucks residuals. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'll be surprised. But, like, the last show I did, MacGruber, which was on Peacock and a pretty big show, you know? About 300 bucks residuals. Like... That's it? That's it. Oh, my God. Not to say, like, I was expecting $30,000, you know, but it's just one of those, like, it's a toss-up. I, I love looking at the SAG-AFTRA residual, like, tracker just to go, oh, cool, 58 cents. Yeah. I really hope you mail that check. Like, I got one right here for, yeah, it's like 54 cents. Love it. I'm going to frame it. But, yeah, it's it, it's crazy working in, like, commercials now compared to, like, when you're training and you're not used to it. Uh, even like looking at commercials from the early 2000s, they're making so much money off of one commercial. You did a kid's go-go commercial, you made like 60K. Now, you know, it's <laughs> it's OTS shots of our shoulders. Oh. It's the hands. It's maybe a split-second smile or smirk, but it's not your eyes or your nose. So like, yeah, well, that's not going to hold up. You're not going to sue us for that. That's right. You know, it's, that's it's, right. It's, nope, we didn't see your, three, your full face. You don't get residuals. Yeah, and it's just a flash. Like, oh, no, the street light, you know, messed you up, so, so you're good, but... The, one of my favorite stories or um, like piece of a story for any actor is if there's a job that you booked and you completely nailed, you're looking forward to it, but you never heard back again. Do you have like anything that you've experienced? Because I have had it two or three times. And I'm curious if you've experienced it before. Where it's like it, it's an ind independent drama. Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe it's a commercial. But you book something. You never got the contract. You never heard anything. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't have those experience. I haven't had that experience. Oh my god! Okay, maybe it's just I mean, me. <laughs> I mean, I've had the experience where 
you know, I booked something super stoked about it, yeah. like gave it all my life, like sacrificed a lot of money to go and do this super low or no budget thing, yeah. expecting that like because the story was good and I believed in the people that something was going to happen. And then crickets. <laughs> Add the crickets. Nothing. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I wasted a freaking month of my life for that. But that's it because... Yeah. You know, all right, let's, let's talk about this now. So, you know, 95, 80, 98% of the time, we're not going to book, right? Yep. And then and then maybe the 5% of the time that we do book, out of that percent, how many of those are never doing shit? I mean, I have done, you know, if you look on my IMDb's, you maybe see like 74 things on the IMDb, right? But as far as films go, like, I've done over 150 that didn't make it to IMDb, never did anything, will never be heard of, you know, but it's that, it was that tenacity, especially early on, starting off, like, I would just do anything I could, free, I didn't care, student film, I didn't care, because that to me was the best training, you learn so much being on set, and, and then, you know, but hopefully you get to see your footage, even if it never went anywhere, and then you learn from how it showed up on film, versus what you thought you were doing, and yeah. So it's just, you know, you got to just kind of be a little crazy and, and love this so deeply that you want to be a storyteller regardless yeah. of whether or not you're making money. Oh, yeah. Don't don't get into this industry for fame or fortune because more than likely you're not going to experience either. You know, nor should, you know, most people experience that. You know, I think it, this is, um, I think it's just safe to say, like, you, you are the working actor. You know, you're you're not booking every single thing, but you are working consistently. Whether it's industrials or theatrical or, or TV, you're you're doing stuff. But I, I mean, people would kick me in the pants. Roger would kick me in the pants if I didn't ask you about the audition process for Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Yeah, and like how that how that came about. I mean, was this through a New Mexico rep that you got yeah. it? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm just making sure you weren't self-submitting yeah, <laughs> to yeah, Stranger yeah. Things. You, yo, we're we're <laughs> never getting the opportunity to self-submit for the bigger stuff. No, that's just not happening. <laughs> So ironically, you know, I moved to moved to Georgia in 2020, looking forward, and then everything, you know, the, the world collapsed also, so oh, yeah. that held things up. But, uh, you know, expecting to be able to work more in Atlanta, and then 21, when things cleared up, I kept going back to New Mexico to work. <laughs> that was a fun irony of that. But got through my New Mexico agent, got the audition, and it was really weird because... I auditioned, did my thing, virtual self-submission, you know, virtual audition, uploaded it through uh, Actors Access. And then I, I think it was like a solid month or a month and a half had gone by before I realized, before they told me I booked it, which is rare. It usually doesn't go that long. Yeah. And so I wrote it off. All right, whatever. Moving yeah. on. And then when I finally found out, I was like, what? I booked Stranger Things? <laughs> It was awesome. You know, it's just, it's such a masterpiece show, yeah. in my opinion. I love the show. It's, the Duffer Brothers were amazing to work with. I mean, the scene, it was only on for a day, so I didn't really get to, to see them in their process and, and their collaboration. But it was amazing when they gave direction. I mean, they were both together, both completely attentive, both like finishing, seamlessly finishing each other's sentences and like building upon each other's it was just amazing to watch them work Whoa. and I would love the opportunity to like get to experience them in a deeper way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, so you you only shot for a day. It looked like you guys were on a lifted helicopter with probably blue screen behind you, right? Yeah, the helicopter was grounded. Maybe it was on a platform, okay. blue screen behind us. Oh, my God. No, we didn't get to meet Eleven. He was <laughs> never on set with us. We were just looking out at the blank desert, you know, at some, you know, X on a C stand of where she was. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was... And then and they'll look over there. Here comes the pizza delivery truck. Civvy, five o'clock. <laughs> I love your delivery of that. We got a civvy at five o'clock. <laughs> Ignore the civvy. Take the shot. Because, <laughs> I mean, listeners don't know, but, you know, uh, we were talking about you being in Stranger Things months ago. You didn't tell me anything. You know, no NDA uh, breakage or anything like that. But like, hey, I'm going to be in Stranger Things. Can we wait till when it's out? And I thought that was going to be like Memorial Day weekend. I don't know. He's in volume two. So that's July. I'm like, well, fuck me. <laughs> I got to right. wait to talk about this experience, but I, Roger didn't have a callback. You didn't have a callback. It was a straight booking. Straight booking. Wow. And were you, uh, I mean, I mean, what, what did you know about it going in? Did you know that you were separate from everybody else? Did it feel like, you know, or was there any expectation that you would be involved with other cast members? Great question. I knew as much as I know for most productions. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> you know, you get the sides, and the sides are slightly informative. But here's something to know is like when, when we're reading for a lot of these shows, sometimes the sides aren't even what you're going to be saying when you're on set. So then all of a sudden you get on set and you're saying completely different things. So I was just prepared to like, all right, I'm playing this archetypal character. You know, what I read for may not be, but it turned out that what I read for was actually almost identical to what was in the script. Oh, good. So that was cool. Yeah. I actually delivered a line from the original script given to me while we were shooting. And the Duffer Brothers were like, uh, that's no longer in the script. Sorry. Um, maybe you got your sides. You know, I'm like, all right, cool. And they're like, actually, let's keep it in, though, but it's no longer a taco truck. It's now a pizza delivery truck. Because... <laughs> Because there was the line, like, um, you know, Civvy 5 o'clock, Civvy, you know, yeah, it looks like some kind of taco delivery truck. It was, was the original thing. Um, and so, but they didn't, they, they weren't in the new side, and so that was cut yeah. anyway from our final piece. Um, so, yeah, you know, no, you, you just, you show up, you don't know who's going to be there or what you're going to be doing, and, and you just do your thing, man, you deliver. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so happy you were on that show. Thank like, you. it was awesome enough seeing you on MacGruber. And with that classic Kobe smile before you completely annihilate somebody's brains. <laughs> and uh, with the thing with MacGruber, um, we had talked about it on the phone months ago, but weren't you up for another role instead of the the crewman role that you got? It was. Yeah. It was. The, um, the guy, and, and I love the direction they went. I yeah. think who they chose is so much better for the role than I would have been. It was, I forget the character's name, but he's torturing uh, MacGruber's character. And he's got him hung upside down. He's got the scalp on. It's the guy whose eyes are like burned oh, out yeah. acid. And he's got, he ends up playing it with the, I think he does an Irish accent or something. And he's just so crazy. And, I um, loved what he brought and how he delivered it. He just had so much more grizzle and character. Yeah. Than, than I would have brought That's to. That's the one you went out for. Yeah, yeah, and oh I had I had an amazing callback with them. This was one yeah. of the highlights of my career. Actually, was so normally when you do a callback, it's sometimes you're only working with the casting director. Very often you'll have the director there, where we're giving you some notes. But I had the casting directors, um, 
the lead actor, I got to work with Will Forte. He was the one reading off of me. So that had never happened. Oh, my God. And, and the director. So it was just such an amazing virtual room to be a part of. And Will was so beautiful and giving and, like, so fun to work with. This is hilarious. So, actually, and I had... I was reading for two characters, actually, okay. in the audition. Yeah. Um, the first one was White Bill, who ended up going to... Um, oh, I forget his name, but he's a UFC guy. Oh, the, the it was the, the guy in the yard, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so that was the one character. And I loved... He was perfect for that, also. Um, and so then I read for this character, and after I read, they gave me some notes, you know, and he just, like, had me play with it. He's like, I love what you're doing. Let's just play with Be Free. So I got to improvise a little. And in the middle of my second scene, his, like, two-year-old comes into the room, and she was screaming, Daddy, or something. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Hold on. Wait. And he, like, addresses her, and he's like, do you want to start over? And I'm just, like, staying in character. I'm like, no, it's fine. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so good it was so fun and it turned out that the role they gave me they actually wrote for me uh it wasn't originally in the script no shit so they found that role for me and oh, i was buddy. just so so grateful to be able to work with them dude that's because yeah. honestly like who wouldn't love you like either way if you <laughs> if you if you weren't even acting like who wouldn't love you but the fact that they went out of their way to give you a part in an episode i think it was like episode three or episode four or something uh, I, I I don't know. I just remember watching it at like eleven o'clock at night. Go, it's fucking Jason. It's like yelling at my girlfriend. It's Jason. Who? Just, never mind. I'll I'll show you later. Um, that's just a fantastic experience, especially working with with Will Forte. And... Oh my god! And you know, it's just I think for for those of us out there, you know, listeners that are actors and and wanting to succeed in this in this crazy industry in this path, I just think so much of it comes back to how we are as human beings you know are we kind are we grateful are we looking to empower and uplift others around us because this industry doesn't really cater to that it makes it tough to do that because we're constantly being turned down and beaten down and then it forces us into scarcity mode and so then i'm not going to be super giving and i'm going to hold on to everything and i mean i don't know that there's any perfect recipe for success um but i just know for me that leading with that, being kind and happy and loving, like that has opened up more doors than anything else. Yeah. And I, I believe that being a good human is why they chose to write, write a role for me. You know, yeah. I, I did good work as an actor, but if I did good work as an actor and I was a total asshole, I'd fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> unless we absolutely need him, yeah, he's not coming back yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah. He looked me in the eyes. I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> well, I mean, with with you know, your career and the people you've met, people you've worked with, and you've listened to the show before, like, I always want to know what your party story is. So uh, just for the listeners, our party story on this show is something that you would tell at a party of an experience you had that was just so impactful. Maybe it's just a, a memory that you can't let go of, but you can account for almost 100% of the details within it. Something that you wouldn't mind sharing at a party amongst friends or strangers. Do you have something that you could... You yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so there's been a lot of fun journeys, a lot of fun experiences on set. But to me, one of the, the funnest experiences that I've had on set that just is so alive in me today, and, and because I got to live a childhood dream, this this story is impactful. So I, you know, I used to watch a lot of WWF. I used to love it. I had the Hulk Hogan 
armbands and the wristband and the little workout set, the Hulk Hogan thing, you know, I just <laughs> loved him. And so I got to do Manson Brothers Midnight Zombie Massacre. Hell yeah. And I got to super fly snooker from the top rope, do all my own wrestling stunts. Now, I was a wrestler. I was a collegiate high school wrestler, right? And I'm a stuntman, so it was easy to kind of live in that world. But I had never done real. I'd never run the ropes, right? And so the guys that were the lead actors in that were also the writers. And they, they come from a wrestling background. They used to be tag team champions together. So it was just amazing getting to like really learn from them and then be able to perform the scene. And so after we did our first take, the director was Max Martini, who's an amazing actor and director. And coming from like such a deep acting place, he's so fun to work with as a director. And so, you know, we do the whole scene. I, I super fly snooker off the top rope. I do a double front, you know, stomp into his thing. And I'm just getting beat up and slammed around. And after we do the take, Max comes out. He's like, oh, my God. Kobe, you okay? You, you okay? Mike, you That was fucking awesome. <laughs> it was just so, you got another one? Let's do it. It was just so pumped. And it's like, <laughs> it's what can be so fun about this industry is yeah. is that we get to fulfill so many of these fun childhood dreams at times and and me I just I live in this sense of adventure and I'm I'm constantly wanting to explore life and and learn new things and and every time I do an, a, a different character I get to absorb a bit more of the wholeness that is all that is that is who I am you know so constantly keeps me out of the box and growing mm -hmm. and learning and that 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 scene was just epic. It was so fun. Was it? Wait, okay. Now that I'm thinking about it, was it your idea the color of the uh, the ensemble you had in the movie? <laughs> Costume design. They were going off of um, the Ultimate Warrior, I believe, was kind of the inspiration. Oh for my that god! Yeah. Whom I loved. Yeah, I was nowhere as near as big and ripped as that dude, but I felt like I was able to, you know. Do some justice for him. I don't know, buddy. You're one of the most yoked guys I know. <laughs> Anytime you're on a set, I'm like, eh, I'm going to go do some push-ups over here. <clears throat> when we're done, we're doing some push-ups. Yeah, dude. <laughs> push dude, I love that story. I love it. And you you have such a wisdom to you. It's not even just with acting. It's just life in general. You have, like, it's, it's going back to you transcending, you know, and just kind of like finding that ethereal way of living. And I wonder if you can impart some of that on our listeners, so whether it's somebody who is, you know, midway through their career right now, trying to hang on to it, somebody who's starting and trying to navigate this brave new world, do you have any sage advice you could pass on to them? I appreciate you saying that. I, I thank you. Um, and yeah, uh, so I, I have the honor sometimes to do, you know, personal coaching sessions, uh, not only for actors, but... Um, spiritually for people, yoga and meditation. But when I work with actors, the one thing that I find always comes up is the battle of the ego, of constantly being turned down. And, and then almost having to self-inflate the ego so we create this sense of importance so that we can keep going on. And I believe it's good to have like a healthy delusion of grandeur, right? If I didn't believe that I'm going to be a serious regular on something, like what, why am I still doing this? You know, if I didn't believe, yeah. and for me, I, I want to be 
I am an actor, writer, director, and so it's about telling the bigger story. But I think that it is super important to find a way to push yourself beyond the entrapment of the ego. And what I mean by that is, is the limited construct of thoughts and feelings that have created you to be who you are. And there's so many different ways to do that, a yoga practice, a meditation practice, uh, attending religious services, but just choosing to constantly question how am I being, who am I being, and finding a way to find empowerment, to find connection to life so that you have a source of happiness, so that you have a source of feeling prosperous in life. Because if you don't feel like you're prospering and you don't have a sense of abundance, you have nothing to give. And so you're going to be depleted by the 20 denials, you know, it's going to beat you down. And so regardless of what craft you're doing or or whether you're trying to be an actor or, or you're an artist or you're doing anything in life, like find a way to feel connected so that you can have a sense of self-empowerment so that when you're around others, you can authentically want to support them. Like I authentically want the best for you just because I know that we're connected and everyone is connected, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I just think it's super important to get out of our own box, our own limited constructs, get out of the matrix, get supported, and, and live from that place however you can, you know? And, and maybe it's, you know, there, there is no one way to experience that. Yeah. You know, there's millions of different ways, but if we're just always caught up in the grind, we get depleted real quick. So even if it's yeah. like, you know, go sit by a little stream, go climb a mountain and look at the beauty, go paddleboard, play ping pong, <laughs> get out of your head. You know, get into the moment. That's that's where you connect to life force. Yeah. See, I knew I was going to get a great answer from you asking that. Like, he's got something. He's got something in the barrel just ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's... <laughs> you have Stranger Things. You have MacGruber this year. I am wondering what else we can uh, promote with this episode and give a shout out to. It doesn't have to be something that you're working on, but it could be an organization, charity, something you really care about. Is there anything that I can also sell with this episode? Oh, I appreciate that. Um, No, I, you know, I've talked about the film Whitetail, which I'm super proud of and, you know, I think is, is where I get to really explore my my craft as a as a character actor a lot um yeah i think i think we've covered a lot of the the basis uh yeah nothing that's jumping off yeah <laughs> so i mean listeners if you're listening to this i assume you have seen stranger things because we didn't really spoil anything at all uh huh. i think and if if we did it's Sorry. been out yeah like <laughs> we didn't i don't think we gave too much away no still- no you're not, not him being in it's not going to spoil it for you by the way he's the main villain uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh no buddy I this wish. i wish this uh this conversation is long past due 
Yeah. And I know we're going to have another one again on this because you and I can't, you know, chat about things for only like an hour and change. <laughs> you got to bring it in. Who knows? When I end up going out to Georgia, you know, for visiting, hopefully later this year, maybe you'll be around and I'll come, I'll come uh, you got, pay you, you a visit. You got a place to kick it for sure. I appreciate it. You buddy. need it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the listeners, you know what time it is then. This is the uh, awkward goodbye segment, which uh, you've seen Wayne's World, right? long time ago and i don't know what you do for awkward goodbyes ah! this is great I'm, I'm totally in the dark this is perfect uh so in wayne's world their camera guy gives him a silent three two one countdown and points during one of the most awkward moments in the movie uh, where things just take a really dark turn <laughs> but in the best way uh so i'm gonna give you the silent three two one countdown when i point just give us your best verbal awkward goodbye love it i know you got this one you ready yeah. Goodbye. Did that work? Goodbye? Did it did you get it? Oh cool. <laughs>